1: There is a passage the Lord has put in our spirits, and it's from Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. And I want to read the King James version of this epic and classic passage. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I the son of man am? And they said, Some say thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven." I want to share with you this subject when the Lord builds the church. Today, the baptismal waters will be stirred once again as God has blessed us with yet another candidate whose adoption into this family of God and to the universal family of God will be the focus of an outward symbol of an inward change. The renewal of this ordinance today is as well a compelling reminder that Jesus Christ, the glorious head of the church, is still keeping his promise. He's still keeping his promise recorded in this passage that we have shared together that upon this rock I will build my church. The promise was first uttered while Jesus share it with his disciples in the region of Caesarea Philippi and as I imagine the scene perhaps some grassy knoll within the majestic and shadowy heights of Mount Hermon Jesus uttered these words that are before us here and this precedent setting reference to the church because it is the first mention of the church in the New Testament it occurs at the zenith of his popularity among the Jews. His popularity to many, which was limited to their conception of him or perception of him as a great teacher or rabbi. Concurrent with this, however, was a growing antagonism and a growing opposition toward his ministry among the religious leadership of the Jews. And it's at this point, if you read the Gospels and if you read the parallel passages in the other synoptic Gospels, Mark and Luke, it's at this point that Jesus begins to speak openly about his death, his crucifixion, his resurrection. Disciples, by all account, were slow learners, and he often had to repeat himself. But the promise regarding the building of the church was prefaced by two questions. Both of them are profound in their implications. One of the questions was, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? The disciples responded by sharing with the Lord all the popular perceptions and responses to such a question. Some, they said believe you're Jeremiah. Some believe you're Elijah. Some some believe that you're one of the other prophets. It's a profound question. And, And we need to, in some sense, know what others are saying. But that was a second question, which I believe is even more profound because the Lord asked, well, I hear what you're saying, but who do you say say that I, the Son of Man, am. He asked the second question. It's a question that's timeless in its relevance because who is he to the church today? And so it's in this context that the core of the passage which drives this message today comes to us. Because as I reread it and as I reflected upon it in every movement of the text we have a principle or a truth that reminds us of what is happening when the Lord builds the church. And the essence of it is he's the only one who can build the church. So what's going on when the Lord is building the church? Because that's what's presented. That's what's introduced in this passage, in this scripture of primary reference in the New Testament. And there are some things that's happening. First of all, When the Lord is building the church, there's a supernatural revelation, a supernatural revelation. The church, and I'm so glad about this, the church is not based on human reason or human intuition. The church is God's idea. If it was somebody else's idea, they may have not let us in. The church. But it is based on supernatural revelation. In this text, Peter said, he says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And the Lord, perhaps knowing Peter's propensity toward getting puffed up with himself, had to issue a disqualifier. He says, flesh, flesh and blood did not reveal it to you. But my Father, which is in heaven. The Old Testament does not speak of the church. The Old Testament prophets did not envision the church. They saw over this time that is the church age, but it's the Word of God that reminds us that the church is the result of a supernatural revelation. The Word of God is supernatural in its revelation, it's supernatural in its inspiration. It's supernatural in its illumination. It's supernatural in its interpretation. It's supernatural in its application. That's why I insist without apology to all of our preachers that every message you preach, ground it in the word of God. Because we have a commitment to ground the teaching and ground the preaching in the word of God because all other ground is sinking sand. It might sound cute and it might tickle the ear but just like Mickey D's, it won't hold you for the long run. The word will hold you because it's supernatural. When the Lord builds a church, there's a supernatural revelation no Robert's Rules of Order, no Articles of Incorporation, no constitutional bylaws has precedence over this. There's a supernatural revelation. But there's also a supernatural redemption and, and a resolve. In a kind of wordplay, Jesus says to Peter, And this is what it looks like in the original. He says, you are a little rock, but I'm not building my church upon a little rock. This is a qualifier for those who find themselves too engaged in the whole notion of apostolic succession. He says, you're a little rock, but I'm building my church on a big rock. Upon this rock, I will build my church. The church is not only characterized by a supernatural revelation, but there's a supernatural redemption. It's not brick and mortar. It's not paint and drywall. It's not hammers or saws. It's not dozers or cranes that God uses to build the church. When he determined that he would build the church, what well, he did was he put a cross. He put a cross on his shoulder and he went up to Calvary. And the Bible says he laid his life down because no one could take it from him. And he laid it down and he picked it up again. And he died on Calvary. Because when you put nails in a carpenter's hands, when you put nails in a carpenter's hand, the carpenter will build something. (laughs) On this rock, Bill I checked my occupancy permit this morning and I'm so glad I'm a part of this building I'm not talking about this this structure here I'm talking the building that is the church because the Bible informs me that we've been redeemed not with corruptible things such as silver gold but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ he says, I will. There is this redemptive focus because he would build a church on his sacrificial death. But the I will tease me. See, God's I will is greater than your and my, I can't. God's I will is greater than any enemies. I want said, I will, it settles it because God says what he means. He means what he says. And I'm so glad he said, I will never leave you. And so there was no force in this universe great enough to oppose his determination to build the church. God's I will constitutes a spiritual line of credit from which we can purchase the peace that pass of all understanding. A supernatural redemption and resolve, a supernatural revelation, but a supernatural resistance as well in this text. When the Lord builds the church in the third, third instance, he says, there will be resistance. Upon this rock I will build my church, and then these words, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it sometimes we are so conflict sensitive you're never going to find a church where there's not some problem and so he said and here's the inference in the text we missed this in translation but but what he's saying is there will be an attempt an attempt to take over an attempt to overcome but it will not prevail That there will be a challenge. There will be a struggle. But in the end, the victory is assured. Because just as our will in the mouth of God is invincible, so it shall not. The Lord says in his word, in the Psalms, when he describes the righteous, but he said they shall flourish like a palm tree. And what I know about the palm tree that after the storm when it's bent to the ground it'll pop up again because it's in the nature of the palm tree to bend but not to break somebody know what I'm talking about here there ought to be some palm But down on the ground, you stretched out your hand to him. There's something else about the palm tree. Is that something about being pushed to the ground? That when it does pop up in its vertical position, it appears as if the leaves are stretched out to the sky. As if to say to God, and you pop back up. It's a hidden together for good, for those who love the Lord. The Bible had Joseph saying, who was bent, but not broken. He said, what you meant for evil, God meant it for good. The Bible says, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. The Bible says that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we're not going to bow down Stretch him what? Yeah. They dropped him. because he said, I will yes. build my church. Yes. That means with his body, there's a supernatural resolve because he said, I will yes. do a hell witness. And there's a supernatural restraint yes. or resistance because he said the gates of hell yes. shall not yes. prevail against it. Yes. What God deals, can't nobody There is a supernatural resource. Now, this is what the text says. Jesus said, now, Peter, get a grip on yourself. I'm just paraphrasing here. He says, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. And what you bind on earth, I will bind in heaven. Now, you got to understand the concept here. Whatever we bind on earth whatever we loose on earth it's already been bound in heaven and it's already been bound in glory, in eternity past. In other words, you don't come up with a new idea. When you bind it in the will of God that means it's already been bound in eternity past. So if you bound sickness and God has put it in your spirit, even when the doctor said no, that you're still going to be alright. here, gone through a storm, and you prayed, and right there while you prayed, God put in your spirit that it was going to be all right. Uh, here's able able. Uh, get out your keys. Uh, you ought to check your keys. Uh, some of you
0: have been listening to Advancing Word with Dr. T.D. Stubblefield. We pray that you have been encouraged by what your ears have heard and your hearts have felt. For more information about us and to obtain resources provided by T.D. Stubblefield Ministries, explore our website at tdstubblefield.org. Until next time, be blessed and remember to stop stressing and to start stepping, advancing in faith, hope, and love by reading and applying the Word of God So you can stand on certain truth for uncertain times.